Deuteronomy chapter 9, beginning with the first verse. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today, to go into and dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water, and the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of the forty days and forty nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for the gift of knowing you and your ways as you've revealed to us. ask that you take your word this morning and refine our thinking. Take your word this morning and refine our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. When you give someone an inch, they will... Okay, I know it's a holiday weekend thing. Some of you have been out late the last couple of nights, but we'll deal with that later. Thing, When you give someone an inch, they will... Pretty common thinking. I'm assuming the majority of you have said that previously. The majority of you have probably thought that previously. It's pretty common thinking. It's a pretty common dilemma to think, to give someone a little bit, they're probably going to want a little bit more. To give someone a little bit of grace, well then they might just go the whole way and never come back. It's a dilemma that we face when we're around people that are maybe behaving inappropriately or we're trying to help someone. The question is, how much do we help them before they end up taking the whole thing? Grace is a scary thing. Grace, which is basically favor towards someone or kindness to someone, is a scary thing because you never know how someone's going to respond if you extend grace they might continue doing the exact same thing. I don't know about you, but in our home, we've had the conversation at least that goes something like this. Well, if we let them do it once, then they're going to want to do it 
all the time. If we let them have a Kit Kat once after brushing their teeth, what are they going to want to do every night after brushing their teeth? Which I don't have a problem with, but think. Because we're worried, right, that, that when you open the gate just a little bit, the gate's going to get opened all of the way. Grace is dangerous. Grace is risky because we don't know how people are going to respond when we give them favor, when we give them kindness. So, how much grace should we give? Should we give an inch? Should we give a mile? This morning's You Asked It question is based around grace. It says, when do we respond with grace and how? When is grace the correct response when someone is making bad choices, etc. How do we respond to someone with grace? Well, grace is a, is a popular thing. We all love grace. I would contend this morning that everyone in here likes grace and wants more of it. When's the last time that you did something wrong and you said, I hope I get exactly what I deserve today? Even when you know you're wrong, right? What's your first thought? One more chance. This never really happened to me, but I saw it happen to numerous other people that would show up for seminary class or college class, right? And, and things got busy. Oh, the printer didn't work. Thing. I never heard it come from one student's mouth where they said, hey, just give me a doc and grade and I'll turn it in tomorrow. Every student said what? Can I have one more day? And we do the same thing, right? We like grace. We like favor. We like it when people are kind to us and give us something that we don't deserve. We rarely want what we deserve. Grace is a great thing. Grace is something that we talk about a lot, we sing about a lot. The question is, what's grace? The grace is talked about a lot in the Bible. The dilemma is this. The Bible never just gives us a clear definition of what grace is. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says, grace is Da-da-da-da-da. Or in the other place it says sin is lawlessness. So sin is clearly when we break God's law. But grace is talked about, but grace is rarely defined. It says in John chapter 1, when talking about Jesus, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it goes on to talk about how in Jesus we've seen grace and truth. We've received grace upon grace because Jesus is full of grace and truth. But then if you go on to read the rest of the Gospel of John, you don't see the word grace. But yet it said that Jesus is full of grace. Maybe grace is not defined by a word, but rather grace is defined by a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so we understand grace by examining the person of Jesus Christ because when we're examining Jesus, we're actually examining God because it tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus is the exact imprint, the exact nature of God himself. That when Jesus comes, Jesus is revealing who God is. So that when it says Jesus is full of grace, what it's actually doing is actually revealing that God is full of grace. That when you see the nature of God, you see grace. When we think of grace, we think of New Testament. We think, okay, law, the Old Testament, grace in the New Testament. But actually, grace is what unites the Scriptures. Look with me, if you would, here at Deuteronomy chapter 9 this morning. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 9, we've got kind of a, a recap, a situation of God's people, the nation of Israel, who are about to possess the promised land, about to enter into this gift that God promised them when he removed them from slavery. The people of Israel are just about to conquer a serious military foe. They're about to go in and conquer someone that anyone would like to have conquered. Any king would like to be able to say, hey, my military took down that group. And so Israel's on the verge of this, and, and God gives them a warning here. God knows what could happen in a situation like this. You could conquer, and then you could say what? We're great and mighty. But what does God say to the people of Israel? Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4. After they conquered, God says to them, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. So Israel is not supposed to say that. They're not supposed to say, hey, we got this land because of our righteousness. In verse, verse 6, he goes a little bit further. He says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. In other words, God is saying, hey, you're not receiving this gift of a land and of a nation because of who you were before I chose you. God did not look around and say, hey, there's a really strong group of people. There's some good people. I'm going to free them and take them to this land because they deserved it. What did God do? God said, I'm going to show my favor to this group of people. I'm going to free them from slavery, and then I'm going to give them this new land to possess. Not because of who they are, not because of their righteousness, but simply because God's extending his favor. The people of Israel did not earn the promised land. They were given the promised land. And, and now it gets real dangerous. They were given the promised land even in the midst of rebellion. Look with me, if you would, here. Deuteronomy 9, 6 through 8. So he says, not because of your righteousness. Look what he says at the end of verse 6. For you are a stubborn people. I wonder who you could say that about today. Not, well, not me thing, but out there. Verse 7. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. This word right here packs power. It packs power because... Notice what God says. He's not focusing on their rebellion before he freed them. He's focusing on their rebellion after he freed them. So after he freed them from slavery, they've been in the wilderness. What do they do? They don't hold a worship service saying, hey, let's praise God for freeing us from Pharaoh. What do they do? They build a metal image. And then they go on to grumble and complain against God's provision. They're stubborn and rebellious. Yet what does God do? Gives them the promised land. Not because of anything they have done or anything they are doing, but because of unmerited favor. Grace can simply be defined as free sovereign favor to the undeserving. Grace is free sovereign favor to the undeserving. And the reason that it's so important to understand that it's free sovereign is that it's not grace when someone makes you do it. 
It's grace when out of your own free will and your choice, you choose to give favor to someone who does not deserve it. What does God do? God is not mandated to pick this group of people. Out of his free will, he chooses a group of people and shows his favor to them. Grace is giving favor to the undeserving. And consider the life of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus do? Jesus gives favor to the undeserving. Who does he spend his time with? Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. And what does he do? He blesses them. He heals them. Not because they deserve it. Not because they've earned it. But because God freely chooses to give favor to the undeserving. This is dangerous. This is a risky business. You think God could have come up with a little better plan thing. Pick some people that kind of have it together a little bit, and then you can kind of reframe them a little bit, and then they can be your people. But what does God do? He chooses the rebellious, He gives them His favor, and continues to give them His favor. Not because they've earned it, but because of who God is. When God is graceful, it means that God is distributing His favor freely to the undeserving. And now, when we receive grace, it's like, whoa! God loves us. God forgives us, not because of anything we have done. What's the kind of the automatic response, especially from us with a Western mindset that, that we think of how we train our children not to do something. We say what? Do not lie because you will get in trouble. Do not lie because you will cause problems for someone. So we're training right or wrong based off of consequences, right? So what happens when you take away consequences? Oh, how, how are we going to get them to, if we don't have any consequences, how are we going to get them to behave? Well, what's God just done with giving unmerited favor? What should he have done to them in the wilderness? He should have left them in the wilderness. I mean, shouldn't you be thinking to yourself, okay, uh, God, you give them the promised land without having them earn the promised land? What are they going to do in the promised land? Use it for their own stuff. But God gives it to them anyhow. And so when you and I receive this message of grace, and it's spelled out in Romans chapters 1 through 5, where it talks about, Paul just says, hey, you're not declared righteous because of works of the law, but everyone sins and falls short. You're justified by your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, people are hearing this message that it's by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. And they're thinking, whoa, it's a free game. And so the Apostle Paul is projecting what they're going to say. And that's what we read earlier in Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul is actually guessing what they're going to respond with. What's he guessing the response is going to be? Well, if you give out grace, sin is just going to abound. They're going to go crazy. Well, let's look here at Romans chapter 6. What's the Apostle Paul's response to our response to grace? So they say it there at the beginning of Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says that this is what people are going to say. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may, be, may abound? The Apostle Paul's projecting that this is what people are going to say when they hear the message of grace. Paul, we've got to have some rules in place. If we don't have rules in place... They're just going to continue to sin. If we just continue to forgive, they're going to sin more. 
Well, the Apostle Paul goes in now to an argument that's helpful on one hand, and on the other hand, it's like, you could have been a little more helpful. Because basically, the Apostle Paul now goes to argue for the next 13 verses, basically saying the following. What do you mean sin is going to abound? When grace comes, someone's united to Jesus. And when someone is united to Jesus, why would they want to sin? You see, about a week and a half ago at our house, um, one of the adults in our home decided that it was a good idea late at night to let our young daughter to go outside with just her diaper on and, and run around. And so this adult went outside. I'm just wanting to use adults. I don't want people to think badly of any parents. And so we just let the, the, one of the adults let the young daughter go outside, run around. And so one of the adults went and stood in the lawn and said, hey, come over and play in the lawn with the ball. Well, our daughter would not go in the lawn. And the, adult, and the adult, mature adult that it was, just kept egging on, egging on the daughter saying, come into the lawn and play with the ball. But the, our daughter would not go in the lawn and she kept looking at her feet. Shoes, shoes. You see, she knows she can't go onto the lawn without shoes on. But here's the adult saying, come into the lawn. But she won't go onto the lawn. And then, so this last week we had a little sprinkler in the front lawn. Same thing again. Hey, let's run through the sprinkler. Won't run through the sprinkler unless there's shoes on because you can't go onto the lawn without shoes. So here's the mindset. You mean I can go onto the grass without shoes? There were, that mindset was never, even, was never even there. It wasn't an option. Think about our mindset for a second. The Apostle Paul is basically saying our mindset should be one of we can sin? What? We have, we have an option to sin? The Apostle Paul is assuming that we're going to be in this position that says, well, I can't do that. But what is our mindset usually? Obedience? Obedience? Really? I, I have to obey? Our, we've flipped our thing around. We, we've flipped our mind to made obedience optional and sinning the expectation. Or the Apostle Paul saying, when grace appears, you're united to Jesus Christ. Obedience isn't going to be an option. It's going to be an outflow. Sinning is going to be the exception, not the rule. So the Apostle Paul doesn't really help us at all. He just says, well, that's a contradiction for someone to be in Christ and to continue in sin. It just doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like this last week I was going to try my hand at making some chocolate chip cookies. I had a recipe from a member here at church. I appreciated their cookies one time. So I like, give me that recipe. Usually I just use the recipe on the back of the chocolate chips, right? Well, I got this recipe from someone, and this recipe is like complicated to a whole new level. The recipe's like, eggs have to be room temperature. Butter has to be room temperature. And then it's like, sift the flour. Da, da, da. And I'm going, oh, I don't own a sifter. So I got to Google how to sift without a sifter at the salt and all this stuff thing. But here I am. I wanted those cookies. Now, if I wanted those cookies and I looked at the recipe and I said, room temperature, I'll show you room temperature thing, and just made the cookies without following the recipe, should I expect to get the same cookies? You would say, and so if I made it my usual recipe and I'm like, man, these things just don't taste like hers. You'd be like, what? Well, yeah, you didn't follow a recipe, right? Because you'd say, 
it's just weird for me to think that I can follow my own recipe and get her cookies. Right? It doesn't make any sense. If I want her cookies, what do I got to do? Follow the weird recipe. It takes like an hour longer. But guess what you get? Cookies. It's a contradiction when we say, oh, hey, I, I, I want Jesus, but then we continue on in our own ways. And we wonder to ourselves, well, why? What? The Apostle Paul's saying that when someone wants Jesus, they're going to get Jesus, and they're also going to get this new life that Jesus desires. You see, the grace of God was given to us with the intent of changing us. It tells us in the book of Titus that when grace appeared, we desired to pursue after good works and righteousness. God's grace is meant to change us. And the Apostle Paul is basically saying, yeah, God's grace is meant to unite you to Christ. You're not going to continue to sin. So, God's grace is unmerited favor given to the undeserving. God's grace is meant to change us, and it's a contradiction. We stomple on God's grace when we continue in our own ways. So how does that help us, though? Do we extend grace or not extend grace to other people? Like, we turn with me, if you would, for a moment. All of that was just an introduction. So Ephesians, I'm kidding. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, that we really get the clear guidance now on how we treat other people. Ephesians 4, verse 31, up through chapter 5, verse 2. Ephesians 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Right here, we get clear instruction on how we're to treat other people. And it can basically be summarized by what? Give grace. Because when you give grace, what are you doing? You're extending kindness and forgiveness. Not to those who deserve it. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. And notice what it says here. Verse 31, let all bitterness. And so one way to understand if you're in a situation where you should extend grace or not is to ask yourself and examine your own heart. Do I have bitterness, wrath, and malice right now in my own heart? I know, when I, I can only say for myself, that when I'm in situations with family or friends where someone's doing something wrong or, or someone's um, done something to me, a lot of the times my mindset turns to, oh, just, why don't they just get what they deserve thing? Whenever that's in my mindset, I, I don't have righteous anger. Jesus does get angry. He gets angry at, at, at the religious leaders for not being faithful. Jesus gets angry at different times. But, but Jesus' anger does not contain malice, Jesus' anger does not contain slander. It does not cause bitterness in himself. And so, if we're experiencing someone around us that's behaving inappropriately, we should be angry about that, but if we're actually 
angry at the person or we're causing bitterness in and of ourselves, we're in a really bad place. The only thing that we should be mad about is that God's name is being defamed. When there's illicit behavior, what should cause our hearts to ache is that God's glory is being minimized and people are being hurt. We should not be angry that a person's just not getting what they deserve. We should not have malice in our hearts that says, we just want, want that person to get paid back. But, but God's calling us to actually something greater than that. To, to extend kindness and forgiveness in those situations. Now, this gets really difficult, right? Because the person might hurt you again. The person might continue in that behavior again. But there's two points to be made here. The first is this. What has God done with you? When you've continued in your stubbornness, when you've continued in your rebellious ways, what has God done with you? God has been kind because you're here this morning. Therefore, you have God's favor. Because if God had not been kind, God would have brought punishment and wrath. But God has been kind to you even in the midst of some of your continuous rebellion. Yet at the exact same time, God's Word does lay out for us. And this is where the difference comes in. God's Word differentiates between those that are in the church and those that are outside the church. We're asked to extend grace at all times, to be in a position of grace, desiring to be tender-hearted and forgiving. Yet, God's Word makes it clear that if there's someone professing faith in Christ, and they are just rebelling against God's Word, and they are unwilling to, to come back, then God's Word lays out some guidelines. Go to them, then take two or three, and then take the whole church. And if they continue in that rebellious way, and they're still proclaiming the name of Christ, 1 Corinthians 5 says, you have to cut fellowship with them. Now, we don't do this, right? I mean, because if we did this, membership would do what? Well, we're scared. Membership would plummet, and then money would plummet. It doesn't fit in our church business model to operate this way. Yet God's Word is really clear that when someone proclaims the name of Christ and intentionally rebels, there is to be discipline. And that's to be extended to them. Yet at the exact same time then, we run into these instances where God's saying, forgive one another, be kind and tender-hearted toward one another. It's 100% both. And here's the dilemma. And this is what you have to get comfortable. And that's this. You might be acting in a very graceful way, but yet those who you are acting graceful towards may not think it's grace. You cannot control how it appears to someone else. All you can do is control how you are acting and how you are being obedient to Christ. This morning, we're called to call one another out. Grace is not. Grace is not this. Well, anything goes. Grace is not leniency. It says Jesus was 100% full of grace. What does Jesus do? Jesus raises the bar. He gives out the commands. Grace is not lowering the bar so someone can get in. Grace is not being lenient with the commands of God. Grace is calling sin, sin, and dispensing the forgiveness of God for that sin. This morning, 
God is calling on you and I to extend to others what has been extended to us. And it's going to get messy. There's no formulas. Some of you want a formula like, well, how much should we help? How long should we forgive for? There's no formula. All there is is the person of Jesus Christ. Do not memorize a formula. Rather, get really well acquainted with a person. And that person is Jesus Himself. And walk by faith. This last week, I was in Hy-Vee on July 4th. Bad idea. Thing. Went to Hy-Vee on July 4th and was doing some grocery shopping. And I was kind of doing just some basic grocery shopping. Some dog food, tinfoil, things like that. I get up to the line, lady working in line, and you could tell things were not going well. Thing. Usually when I buy dog food, I don't lift it out of the cart. The person just reaches over with the gun. So I pull the cart up, all the groceries are there, and I said, hey, could you just shoot this? And doesn't say anything, just takes all of my food that's on the thing and pushes it back and grabs my bag and puts it up on the thing. I'm like, well, that'll work too, thing. thing. And then asks to see my gas card. Do you have the gas discount? Asks me three times, thing, thing. And each of the times, so, uh, no, I don't have, da, 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 no, not with me. Thing. I'm walking out going, man, that is not the helpful smile in every aisle. Thing. <laughs> and I take a little personal pride because I was a Hy-Vee employee. Thing. Then I got in the car and as I was leaving the parking lot, I see this Pepsi truck pull in. And as the Pepsi truck pull in, my memory went back to about 15 years ago when I used to work for Pepsi. And I had to work on July 4th. And my memory went back to saying, I will never shop on July 4th. Because I remember working on July 4th and getting called back into the store about 4 p.m. Hey, we're out of 7-Up. And I remember thinking to myself, why don't people plan in advance? Here I was, July 4th, a cashier who was a little impatient. And by the end, I was a little impatient. But then I remembered I had actually been in the same position. When someone's acting in a negative way towards us, or someone is acting in a way that does not reflect the commands of God, the first thing we should do is look at our own hearts and ask ourselves, What did God do with me in the midst of that? And before I extend a hand of wrath or anger, ask, did God extend a hand of wrath or anger? Or did God freely dispense His favor to an undeserving person? God is calling upon us today to go forth and dispense His favor to undeserving people. And here's the final word, and this should free us, is that Jesus is not in the business of handing out lifetime achievement awards. Jesus is not in the business of handing out lifetime achievement awards. Rather, Jesus is in the business of dispensing grace and forgiveness to the undeserving. Therefore, what are you and I in the business of? not handing out lifetime achievement awards to people who deserve them, but rather we're in the business of dispensing grace and forgiveness as Christ has done to us. There is no lifetime achievement 
award because we've achieved nothing. There's only grace and the gift of sainthood from God Himself. Let us go forth and dispense that same grace as messy and as risky as it is so that people can experience that forgiveness and experience God's favor and allow God's favor to work through us to bring about change for His glory. Go home. Give them an inch. And if they take a mile, give them another mile. They take five, got to start to discern. Got to start to walk by faith and ask God to help. Don't memorize a formula. Get well acquainted with the person of Jesus so that you can know when to give an inch and when to give a mile. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks today for Your patience with us. Your overwhelming kindness. God, think of the own rebellion that's in my heart still to this day and my own stubbornness. God, we acknowledge that stubbornness and rebellion and thank You for Your patience and kindness. And God, I pray that now You would create in us the ability to go forth in Your power and extend Your favor to other people. God, thank You for Your grace. Help us to experience it this week. Help us to honor Your grace through our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.